Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Tracy Velt, Senior Director of Data and Content, to talk about the latest news on the National Association of Realtors. After Redfin announced Monday it was pulling out of the trade association, and the latest on the broker commission lawsuits. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HousingWire, with Melinda Wilner, Chief Operating Officer at UWM. Melinda, what types of products and enhancements has UWM rolled out this year to help set brokers up for success? It's been a big year for us of rolling out product updates and some enhancements to our tools. Um, Our whole goal always is to make the broker succeed in whatever cycle is around. So we uh, we do everything we can to focus on the broker experience and really importantly focus on the borrower experience. So a few of the things we've done this year, um, Safe Check Complete uh, has been a a recent rollout for us. Our 1% down program has been an absolute hit to really help in that affordable space and to help people get into homes who couldn't otherwise do so. Uh, We've had some great product expansions with our uh, bank statement program as well as our jumbo program to allow more flexibility and uh, to fit more borrowers into there. So it's really been a great year. We've done a lot of great things that we're really happy about, really proud of. A lot of robust products and listeners, you can find out more at uwm.com. Tracy, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Great to have you on as always. Um, So we are recording this on Monday, October 2nd. And so we broke the news. Um, Of course, the New York Times had it first, but right after them, we had it that Redfin was leaving NAR and it's going to require its agents to cancel their National Association of Realtors membership. So we'd love to get your take on that. Yeah. So basically, they're saying that it's partially because of the sexual harassment Um you know, accusations that NAR is is dealing with right now, and also because of the commission lawsuits. Um, But there also is the amount of money that they're, they're paying to NAR. And so the, the, they can't get out of every MLS because some MLSs, you know, some of the rules are different depending on the state. So about half of the U.S. NAR membership is required for agents to access the listing databases and that. So it's probably half of their company will be, they're leaving the board, they're leaving the NAR board, so they will no longer have a seat on that. And then they're also asking that the brokers in the markets that they can not join NAR, which also means the agents don't join NAR. Um, and what's really interesting about this is that um, I feel like they're just trying to get ahead of what the settlements in with Anywhere and Remax say. Um, we don't know what's in those settlements. We have heard rumors that um, part of those settlements will be to not require their brokers to be members of NAR or members of an MLS, but we don't know for sure that that they'll actually say that. Um, regardless, one of the things that people really talk about a lot is, well, is NAR going to go away? And I do not think that's going to happen. I think there might be a more streamlined NAR. They spend far too much money lobbying for homeowners' rights um, and, and to go away. They do far too much good 
for that as well. Um, and so there might be a decoupling of the MLSs from NAR. So they will run separately. There are already some that run separately as it is. Um, and, and there may be some other things that happen. And so I feel like Redfin might be just trying to get ahead of all that and, um, and, and do their own thing. So. So when you say get ahead of all that, in other words, uh, what you're saying is it's possible that that's going to be the move that happens anyway. And so they're the first people who are like, you know, let, let's find a different system. Um, is that what you mean? I don't think, uh, I, I don't think that, that in any of those settlements from Remax or anywhere that they're prohibiting their brokers or agents from joining NAR. I, I don't think that's the case. So in a way, it's very different from what NAR is doing. I mean, what Redfin is doing. Um, however, I do think that with the, the commission lawsuits, the Sitzer-Burnett case is going to court um, October 9th. So it's coming up very soon. And still in that is the NAR is a part of that. Berkshire Hathaway is still part of that. And Keller Williams is a part of that. Um, anywhere and Remax settled. And we don't, they're proposed settlements at this point. They haven't been um, approved, so they're not final. So we don't know what's in them. But the the lawsuits kind of take aim at NAR's particip- participation rule, which requires listing agents to kind of make a blanket offer of compensation to buyer's agents in order to list the property on a realtor-affiliated MLS. The plaintiffs say that that inflates the cost for consumers, um, and they say that the current commission structure, um, you know, is is not good for for consumers. Which the commissions have been negotiable; they've always been negotiable. Um, so there's a lot of nuances to this. So basically, what I think Redfin is doing is they want more transparency for buyers um, for the buy side, which is a lot of what they they do is a lot of buy side transactions. And so um, they're saying that the MLS won't accept one of their, their, they don't accept for sale by owner listings and they don't accept listings that don't provide compensation to the buy side. Um, it, that depends on the market you're in. I know in some Florida MLSs, you can put a dollar compensation in for the buy side and, and that's, you know, so, so it's not, um, so it it depends on the MLS, I guess I should say, I hope I'm not confusing all of this, but it's very nuanced. And what Redfin is saying is we want nothing to do with NAR, because of the sexual harassment lawsuits that they obviously, um, you know, are strong, feel strongly about Redfin does. Um, and because of the fact that they want more transparency for consumers in the transaction. And that's likely what's going to happen with the outcome of the lawsuits, um, the current lawsuit, the Sitzer Burnett one. So Tracy, just to catch up our our listeners who might not all be familiar with what you're talking about when you talk about the sexual harassment lawsuit, can you can you give us a summary of what happened there? Yeah, actually, it's not a lawsuit. I, I misspoke on that. It's just allegations at this point. But um, as far as I know, there there haven't been any lawsuits filed. Although I could be wrong about that. Um, Basically, there were accusations from those inside of NAR, um, staffers inside of NAR, that one of their um, past presidents 
um, they they ran a culture of fear is what the the quote was in in the New York Times and that he has been harassing women, um, you know, through allegedly throughout the, um, you know, his reign at, at NAR. And then um, it came out that there they possibly knew about those allegations and our leadership and there were protests set up. There were, there's calls for Bob Goldberg, um, the CEO's resignation. Um, Bob is actually retiring at the end of this year. Um, and now they have a whole NAR accountability project, a group that was founded by members of NAR by realtors um, demanding that NAR be held accountable for for the actions of their volunteer leadership and and things that have happened um, happened there. So that's I, I don't really know where it stands at this point um, as far as what's being done. I do know that. Um, Bob Goldberg has not resigned. Um, and I know that, that NAR is obviously very concerned about the allegations and, um, are, are doing what they, they can to protect the, the people that work for them. So thanks for clarifying that. So the lawsuits, uh, that, um, maybe we were talking about were the commission lawsuits that Remax and anywhere have settled, right? So totally different from, from, Correct. That, okay. Totally different. NAR has got a lot coming at them from a lot of different angles. Um, <laughs> but right now, there are two class action commission lawsuits, um, the Morrill case and the Sitzer-Burnett case. The Sitzer-Burnett case is going to court October 9th. And that, but however, Remax and Anywhere settled for both of the cases. So they've settled for both class action lawsuits. Um, but the, but Keller Williams and Berkshire Hathaway and, um, NAR have not settled for the Sitzer Burnett and are going to court. Um, and as far as I know, it's still scheduled for October 9th. I think that, um, the upshot of this is if you're a real estate agent, if you're a realtor, you might feel very confused about what it is you're, you should be supporting, shouldn't be supporting and what's going to happen going forward. Yes. I think that, um, I think right now we did a broker pulse, a Q4 broker pulse. That's our quarterly, um, sentiment survey forward looking. And I always ask a couple of really relevant questions in that. And, um, the latest one will be live on the site by the time this airs. And I asked brokers specifically what they were doing to help their agents, um, or, possibly prepare for a worst case scenario, you know, because there are a lot of things that they can be doing right now. And what it really turned out to be is that most of them are educating agents on how to educate the consumer on how commissions are paid. They are educating them on, um, you know, all aspects of the transaction so that they really understand but more than that, they're moving to buyer representation agreements, which in the past, when you took a listing as the listing agent, you always had a, um, a listing agreement with the, with the seller um, that outlined you know, how you were getting paid and, and outlined different specifics of the transaction. So, but on the, as a buyer's agent, you didn't really have that. You worked with the buyer and you you help the buyer, but you didn't have any formal agreement with that buyer, um, you know, specifying anything. So, um, but there have been these agreements have been around. People have used them. Um, 
it just depends on the state how they're how they work. Um, so a buyer representation agreement outlines how com- how the commission is paid, and a lot of brokers are moving to make that mandatory. Um, depending on what their agency relationship is. For example, Florida has a transaction brokerage automatic relationship. In transaction brokerage, um, a buyer's agent does not represent the buyer or the seller. um, And the listing agent does not represent the buyer or the seller. They do what's best for both parties. Um, But there are buyer broker agreements in Florida that as a buyer's agent, you can use to have a relationship with the with the buyer that you're working with and be their fiduciary. So there are options out there for that. It's just not really used that much. Um, and more brokers are turning to using it and making it mandatory within their brokerage. Um, the other thing that they're, they're focusing on is um, value proposition. And about it was about 15% of them said that they're restructuring their value proposition. But more than that, they are expressing, they're teaching their agents how to express that value, what value they offer to the people that they're working with in the transaction. Um, And for the agents, uh, especially the buyer's agents who don't know what value (laughs) they're offering, um, they're not going. They're not going to be in business very long. So, educating these agents who honestly have probably not been in the business that long and have not been, um, you know, don't really understand all of the dynamics of the transaction. Um, educating them on the value proposition is really important because they have to understand what value they bring to the transaction and and, and explain that to the buyer. And so that's a big thing they're doing as well. Um, you know, some of the other things mentioned in our broker pulse are, you know, 5% of them said they're waiting and they're going to wait and see. They're not going to do anything right now. Um, another 5% said they're really focusing their business on listings only, which is difficult. Um, most brokers do more buy side transactions than they do sell side transactions. So, that's kind of a difficult thing to work on. Some of them, 1% said they're restructuring their commission model. Um, and so there, there are things that they're working on. Um, but until you really know what is required or what's, what's going to be put forth, it's really hard to, to do too much, um, in your, in your brokerage. And we, you know, we'll have to wait to see what the outcome is and wait to see what these settlement agreements provide. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at Housing Wire, with Ryan Marshall, CEO and founder of Equity Protect, to talk about a very specific and growing kind of fraud risk. Ryan, who is really at risk of deed fraud? So that's a great question. I think we should first state that the people who are not at risk are people that just recently acquired their properties, people that have loans on their properties, often high loan amounts, high loan to values on their properties. Um, Those are people who I would consider as very low risk and people that should probably not consider our service as a service. So as of November of 2022, we've identified 83 million parcels across the nation, which is roughly 54% of the total parcels in the entire country who we've deemed as vulnerable. Uh, These parcels are specifically ones that don't have mortgages, parcels where they're non-owner occupied, 
properties where the mailing address isn't associated with the site address. Um, and they're in some type of vacation area or vacation property area where lawful homeowners wouldn't necessarily know if an appraiser showed up or if somebody just drove by your property and, and did a quick appraisal on it. Thanks, Ryan. Listeners, you can find out more information at equityprotect.com. Back on the Redfin uh, item, I think what's interesting there is they're, you know, they're asking agents where they're able to, you know, withdraw from NAR, but they understand that that's not going to be something that every agent can do in every geography. And it it feels like that would be almost impossible to enforce, at least. And like, how are you going to know if someone's um, doing that? And and if it's, you know, if they're able to, like, uh, if it's going to affect their business, and they even said that, um, Redfin in the releases, the last thing they want to do is hurt people's business right now because, you know, it's it's a tough, challenging market. So what are your thoughts there? I mean, are there any teeth to that, um, to this whole pullout from NAR? They also said that they believe in the local and state associations. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because you, in order to be a member of the local and state, you have to be a member of NAR. And what, so it seems to me that Redfin is really pushing for separate memberships or something to that effect. Um, you know, because the, the state associations and the local state associations offer a lot of value to agents, um, beyond the MLS. Um, you know, they have a lot of different, like I could speak to Florida because I'm in Florida. They have um, their Sunstats, which is a marketing tool for housing you know, the housing market in local um, areas. And they have um, several other like products that they offer the tech helpline, um, you know, that agents can call and get technical help. They have a legal hotline. A lot of associations offer these things. So it's not just limited to Florida. So it's not, I don't see how it can be enforceable. And if you've got people using these services of their local and state associations, they're not going to want to um, avoid joining NAR because they're going to want want these services. So, um, yeah, it'll. I'm not really sure how that's going to be enforceable. It's interesting because um, I think that the realtors are so much more tied into obviously their local and state organizations. That those don't exist except that they are members and and you know working through it. And every time I go to a realtor conference or talk to them. I mean, that's where all the relationships are. That's where all their loyalty is. And so I can see how that's, that's a sticking point because, you know, you can say, oh, well, we don't want you to, you know, we still want you to be involved in those kind, but not the national, but it's like, that's a lifeline for a lot of these agents. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, NAR does a lot of good too, like with lobbying and that. And, and, but I do think on the local level, most agents don't really know what NAR does, um, for them specifically, but they know what their local association, their continuing education classes, um, you know, things that are vital to their business are being offered through these local and state associations. So. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for being on and also, you know, giving us sort of a summary of all the things that are going on because there's so much. We had so much real estate news just today, just this morning. And that, you know, builds on the coverage that um, our newsroom has been doing for the last couple of months um, on the lawsuits as well. So listeners, you can catch up on the latest at housingwire.com and look under real estate. And Tracy, thanks so much for being on. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.